Abba Father, thank you for each person that's here. <clears throat> thank you for uh, what you covered, what you accomplished in the 9 o'clock service, early service. Pray that hearts are ready to receive truth and that a lot of the, the barriers that we have in our hearts to knowing the fullest of your, of your love and your power, that they should be removed and our hearts should be, be pure, minds clear, ready to, to listen. Uh, Holy Spirit, do your work. Go to places in hearts this morning where no human has the right to go. Please show yourself. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, last Sunday, last couple of Sundays, we've covered some things about roles and responsibilities, that husbands were called to be a leader, we're called to love our wives unconditionally, we're called to serve our wives, and that this is, there's, these are biblical mandates, these are things we can't avoid. Uh, ladies, you're called to be a helper to your husband, and you're called to respect your husband. A comment about respect. Uh, ladies, you might not be aware of this, but males have uh, ego issues that might be new to you, and, and you might have ovarian shock, but that's actually true. Males have huge egos. Uh, you know, from asking for directions, and, and we can go, you know, many different areas. Part of it is the left brainness of a male. Part of it is that left hemispheric bias in the male brain, and, and they default to, to logical, you know, systematic thinking, linear kind of logic. One plus one is two, don't mess that up. It's a perfect system. And so men, because of that, have, have oftentimes some spin-off issues with pride. Uh, ladies, can I just get a couple things out there? Uh, for years, and I'm going to include myself in this, in this category of men, most of the men, the two biggest problems they face in their lives, the, the Goliaths that the average male faces, are two things. Number one, fear. Most men are afraid, and it's a deep core issue for the average male. And then secondly is they're unappreciated, and those things are really powerful in a man's soul. I'm going to explain about fear. What I don't mean by that is they're, they're afraid to stay, you know, go to the plate and keep their eyes open when they swing the ball. You know, no, 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 I'm not talking about that kind of fear. They're afraid of snakes or they're afraid of guns or, or something like that, or they, they don't know how to do a karate chop or something. No, not, the, not that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm talking about they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of looking bad. It's not, it's not that they're afraid to swing the bat and keep their eyes open. They're just afraid of striking out. And for the average male, uh, fear can be pretty debilitating. Okay? Along with that fear comes sacrifice. Men work hard. Uh, how many women have told me through the years, you know, gee, Chris, when we first got married, my husband was married to me. But then after the honeymoon, he was married to, to his job. I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that one. A husband's more committed to work than to me. Well, sometimes that's because the male feels like the weight of the world sits right here and he's got to be the provider. Okay? And that spins on a whole other set of issues again. Fear of failure, fear of inadequacy, fear that I'm not making enough money to provide, and all kinds of damaged ego stuff. And then, and then you get this tired, beat-up male 
And then what is he longing for? The second Goliath, he's longing to be appreciated. And when he feels like he's not appreciated, it can be oftentimes secretly more than the average male can handle. So ladies, males need to be respected. Uh, love your husband. Submit to the leadership of your husband. I, I made comment in the early service that, uh, you know, ladies, you can't, you can't be ashamed of your husband's lack of leadership ability or upset that he's not a good leader. And then when he does take a step in leadership, you shame him for it. Uh, you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways, okay? Um, husbands, you can't love your wife and spend all your time with your bass boat or whatever it is. You know, you, you know, she needs to be number one. And, and that means you have the pressure to make sure that, yes, you, you are the principal breadwinner or probably are, uh, okay, but your wife still needs to know that she's number one. I think, Dave, you were gonna, are you were gonna say something, sir? I heard a grunt. Was it a rib? <clears throat> he said bass boat, he said table saw. Excuse me, it's a table saw. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more tools, just more Power tools. Power tools, yeah. You know, uh, when, when you look at Jesus on the family, it's really, you know, search yourself. Put down husband, wife, family, kids, and look at the Gospels and what they say. And wow, some stuff comes out that's surprising. And you know what is clear about all of Jesus' teaching on the family and marriage and, and children? You know what's really clear, like his number one teaching, is that God is more important than all that stuff. That's it. The number one priority in the life of Jesus and what he communicates about the family is that God is more important than your spouse. And God is more important than your kids. There's the gospel. There it is. Okay. And if, do you realize the genius of that? He didn't move into a self-help pattern. He didn't move into any of those kinds of ideas. He goes straight to the number one core issue for every male, for every female, that the number one love of your life must be God. Number one. And if that's in place, do you realize that everything takes care of itself? Do you realize that? It's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. If we would just have it, it would clean up a lot of messes in our lives. I love what Jesus does. Well, today, I want to talk about facing emotional intimacy. That title is deliberate. Facing emotional intimacy, because to have it, you've got to go nose to nose. You've got to talk. You've got to face each other. You can't have emotional intimacy and be in an avoidance pattern. You've got to face each other to deal with things. Okay, so I'm praying that you'll have ears to hear. Let's walk through this. There's some skills that I'm going to be covering. They do take an art form. This is an art. It's a dance. It's something we learn and master. Skill number one is you have to really understand Emotional intimacy must mean giving high worth to your spouse, to your boyfriend, girlfriend, to your mom or dad, to your children. You have to project worth on them. How many of you have uh, an old, like two models ago, iPhone? Where is it? Did you do the recycling? Or is it in like your sock drawer? You know? I know some folks have the hardest time throwing stuff away. You just can't keep it. I don't know why. Maybe it's like, an old wedding ring or something from a past marriage or something, right? You don't have to throw the wedding. You laugh because it's true. But you know, where's your brand new phone? I bet it's within 12 inches of wherever you are. 
Am I close? <laughs> like to on your person, like touching your flesh or within 12 inches of wherever you are, right? And can, can we just get real personal? Do some of you take it into the bathroom? Okay, stop. We're going to stop right there. Multitasking. Multitasking. <laughs> it's called device separation anxiety, right? You are so, you, for some of us, we are more committed to caring for our iPhone than our own family. We give more attention to our iPhone than our own spouse. You get the point. We have to project worth on our spouse if you want to have emotional intimacy. By the way, if you feel like your spouse has virtually no worth at all, then I'm just going to guess that you're going to end in divorce real soon. Uh, skill number two, emotional intimacy involves communication. Uh, some, some thoughts about that, and, and there should be virtually no surprise about this. The idea of effective communication involves the following. Number one, truth-telling. Truth-telling and promise-keeping. Why is that important? Well, emotional intimacy can only happen when there's trust. And if, if there's no trust, if, if a spouse, a parent is lying to the children, children are lying to the parents, boyfriend, girl are lying, husband, wife lying to each other, it's going to be awfully hard to have emotional intimacy because emotional intimacy means you're taking your heart, emotions, and you are giving it and entrusting it to another person. For example, your spouse. And if your spouse chronically lies to you or lies and is not keeping promises, then you reflexively want to take that all back and say, no, I'm not going to get my heart out there and act like I trust you when I, because when I do trust you, you lie and I can't handle that. Emotional intimacy involves good communication. Good communication means telling the truth, promise keeping. And it means this, it means knowing how to speak in a fluid kind of way with John Powell's five levels of communication. At my house, we have my daughter Andrea, my daughter Catherine, and my daughter wife, my, my daughter wife, how did that come out? My wife Lisa, <laughs> I got lots of females at my house. I live in a sorority house. Um, level five is the best way to start the day. Just keep it light. Keep it real light. Lisa's not a morning person. Catherine's certainly not a morning person. And uh, <laughs> love you. <laughs> Boy, am I going to pay for that one. You know, I've got, I've got me and Rebecca, we have 50,000 words ready to go, loaded at, at sunrise, you know. But the other three, he's like, well, how you doing? Mm. Maybe you're grunt. Maybe you're grunt. So I need to start at level five in the morning, right? Uh, but in, in, in the art of communication, you know when to move up and down on the scale from the deepest expression to the, to the, to the shallow stuff. And it might, you might move in all five levels in one hour or one paragraph. It's okay. In good communication, you know how to communicate uh, on what level at the right time. Um, so a couple more comments about, about communication. Uh, there's something about speaking wisdom, speaking wisely that's really important. The, the book of Proverbs has so much to say about a fool. If you get a chance, do a search, type in fool in the book of Proverbs. And it's there over and over and over again. And you know what you get? You get this clear teaching in Proverbs that fools are people you ignore. That's what you do with a fool. In fact, 
Proverbs says this, that you should do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. In other words, if a fool is speaking foolishness and they're way down on this level and you, and you believe you're a man or woman of wisdom, don't get on their level and start yakking about foolish things and arguing in a foolish way. Stay away from that. Okay? Rather, answer, it says, answer a fool as his folly deserves. And in Hebrew, that's an idiom, and it means this, ignore the fool. Just don't talk to them. You ignore them. Because they're fools. That's why. Okay? Well, when we speak foolish things with our spouses or our children, uh, and then we wonder why children don't take us seriously. Know the limits of emotional intimacy. This is really important. There are limits. Um, emotional intimacy is limited based on neuroanatomy. Uh, simply put, it is medically impossible for me to get inside Lisa's head and truly understand who she is. I can't. It, it's, it cannot happen. She can't crawl inside my head and truly understand me. It can't happen. No one gets 100% emotional intimacy. Nobody gets 100% attunement where you truly know that person in the deepest sense of who they are. It can't happen. It's impossible. Okay? You can move toward it, and you should, but no one truly, truly understands another person. We'll comment about that later. Intimacy, emotional intimacy is limited based on gender. Uh, fact is, ladies, your brains are wired for relationships and empathy. You have access to an emotional side of your brain, the right side, uh, that males do not. Uh, there's something called the FFA, fusiform face hair. It's right back here in the temporal lobe. Women, you can read facial cues and know what's going on in people's heart in nanoseconds. Guys, you know, we come home from work, uh, one daughter's crying, another boy's pouting, and, and, you know, dad doesn't even notice. And mom says, don't you care? Can't you say she's crying? Huh? I didn't see anything. I just came home. What did I do? You know? And he's already getting blamed for, for something. That's because his temporal lobe is not wired to read facial cues like a female. There's just a limit. Third, uh, third thing about limits of emotional intimacy is, is personality types. Some people are just quiet. Do you know that? They just don't say much. They're just real quiet. And that's okay. Well, if you're a high, high verbal male and you're just real chatty and you want to talk and you just happen to be married to a low verbal quiet female, uh, sorry, buddy, life's going to be a little lonely, okay? Or vice versa. You've got a high verbal female, low, ver low verbal male. You unload 50,000 words and he goes, uh-huh, okay. And, you know, were you wanting some engagement, some response? <clears throat> there are limits to emotional intimacy and we have to be uh, aware of those things and, and guard on expectations. Okay, a few more. <clears throat> Regarding expectations, please be aware again that it's your responsibility to be the right person and not demand that your spouse or friend or mom or dad be perfect, okay? 
have realistic expectations? What damages intimacy in marriage? I'm going to offer the following talking points. Number one, we're too busy to care. We're just too busy. Uh, go to a restaurant and, and look at what's going on with everybody at the tables. How many times do you see family just doing this? Or they're typing in something for Facebook. And every kid's got an iPhone. And, and the men are into it too. They're on EPS, ESPN seeing if the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl again like they should have last year. Or they're doing something. I don't know. And the ladies are on Facebook. And it goes on and on and on. Everybody's on their iPhones. And we're having emotionally intimate family time at the restaurant. Okay. Too busy to care. Or we have a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience damages emotional intimacy. Proverbs 21, uh, a wicked man flees when nobody chases him. You know the thing about cops? They'll tell you that guilty people have a way of acting guilty. And they're easy to spot. Guilty people struggle with relationships. Number three, addictions. And that can include an iPhone, can include Facebook and media and all kinds of stuff. Uh, bitterness, bitterness. You're that person that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 13. You keep a list of wrongs suffered. And you hold a grudge. That's really hard. And damages emotional intimacy. Or you refuse to give meaningful and safe touch. You won't do it. You're guilty of the ego defense called mind reading. This is very important. Mind reading. Proverbs 13.10 says that through insolence or through pride comes nothing but strife. The Hebrew word for pride is zadon. And it's difficult to translate into English. I would translate it as uh, through the presumptions of pride come nothing but strife. And, and zadon, it... it, it it means you think you understand somebody. You think you've got it figured out when you don't. And you shoot your mouth off and you cause trouble is what goes on. Uh, the fact is you're not a mind reader. Okay, I've got the gray beard, so you've got to listen to me. I'm old. Listen to, listen to the aged man. Listen, listen. Moms and dads, I want to beg you to learn a skill regarding how you parent. You ready? Learn to not ask the why question with your children. Learn only to ask the what. Do not ask why, ask what. For example, let's illustrate it with Quinn and Campbell Lowry. For some reason, they'd be a great illustration. So Campbell and Quinn are in the backyard fighting. And they're fighting over a, their latest catch of the day, some snake or something, you know, or a frog or a turtle or some innocent creature of God walked in their airspace and, and may believe it's time for harvest or something. And there's a big fight in the backyard. Okay. Well, dad cares. And one of the worst things you could ask your two kids at that point is, why did you hit him? Or why did you hit her? Don't ask the why question. Do you know, do you know why you don't ask the why question? Because it's teaching your children how to take advantage of a good opportunity to lie. That's why. Don't ask why. You're giving them a door to lie. Don't ask why. Teaches them to lie. Ask what? Campbell, what did you do? 
Oh, oh, oh boy, I'm cornered now. I'm cornered now. There's no way out of this one. Can't tell a good lie because Quinn's bleeding. Or, Quinn, what did you do? See, a good lie won't work at this point because Campbell's bleeding. Make your child responsible for the facts. What happened? Not why did it happen. That leads to a mess, okay? Learn to teach your kids or learn to ask your kids what, not why. That's extremely important regarding mind reading because guess what? If you're the kind of adult in the room where you're concerned about the why, you are probably hard to get along with, okay? You're probably difficult to get along with because you're getting your nose in what is called motive. And you're trying to find out the motive of this or the motive of that. And you're starting to judge in an area of life you have no business going. It's not your job to judge motive. Only God has the authority to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You deal with the externals. Be careful with motive. It's a dangerous place to go. Okay. And now, if you feel like your motives are 100% pure in all things, and you're flawless internally, then by all means, feel free to judge motives. But if you're not, I just really encourage you to back off. So mind reading is dangerous stuff. Uh, let's talk about pornography for a bit here. Pornography does tremendous damage in marriage, like any relationship for that matter. But it certainly destroys emotional intimacy. By its very nature, pornography epitomizes relational and emotional avoidance and detachment and disattunement. Uh, Dr. Struthers did his PhD at Columbia. He's a Christian psychologist at Wheaton uh, in Illinois. Uh, his research and the teams and folk that he's worked with demonstrated that the first thing a male looks at when he views pornography is the eyes of the female, the eyes. Psychologically, he's doing that because of his deep need to be wanted. He psychologically wants to be wanted so much that that's the first thing that is, uh, that is psychologically registered. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, Hollywood knows that. Los Angeles knows that. And the folks that are pumping out that, that toxic drug are literally selling psychologically the idea that you're wanted. That's what they're selling. And that is required, and that means that all the actresses and all the actors are required to look at the camera. Okay? Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Pornography damages, can destroy marriage, and damages certainly emotional intimacy. Anger. Proverbs 22 makes it clear that you avoid angry people. Proverbs 27.4 says anger is like a flood. How do you stand in, how do you stand in a flood? Hot-tempered men, men or women, can bring tremendous damage to emotional intimacy. Uh, let's look at this one. <clears throat> what restores emotional intimacy in marriage? Well, number one, deciding that your marriage is worth saving. That's number one. To decide that your, your relationship with your mom and dad is worth saving. Your relationship with a brother or sister or a boyfriend or girlfriend. 
that you actually are putting value in people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, I pray that you would abound and increase in your love for one another and your love for people. That we as Christians should, should be loving people. We can restore emotional intimacy in marriage when you face your spouse. Literally, go face to face. Facing emotional enemy, intimacy, not, not standing oblique, not, not putting your backs to each other, you know, looking away, trying to talk, but going face to face. It also means that you learn to talk on a daily basis. My mom and my bio dad divorced when I was young. My mother remarried. We went through legal adoption. And uh, uh, the man she married, her second husband, Mr. Perry, alcoholism uh, destroyed his first marriage. And so my mom and my, my stepdad, when they became husband and wife, they made a commitment to talk every day. And the ritual was that when dad came home from work and mom, would, you know, supper was almost, you know, it's almost every time. They would slip back, they'd close the door, and we were not allowed to disturb them. They just needed a little time just to talk, just to debrief the day, and that was something that held their marriage together. They made time to talk. Remember, it's harmful to the marriage and to emotional intimacy when you're too busy to care. You've got to make time for this stuff. Pray together. Talk with meaningful touch. (coughs) Hold hands while you're talking. Give meaningful touch as you're face-to-face sharing. Uh, Share common projects and recreation together. I had so much fun with Lisa yesterday because she said, hey, can you go to wherever it was, Walmart or one of the the garden centers, and we bought, you know, seven bags of this soil and some miracle Grow stuff, and and we were just, and I had a wonderful time. We were doing something together, and it was good. Uh, Skill number seven is going to be communicate wisely on sensitive topics. Just be wise. I want to I want to work through some material on 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 Jesus in NMC. Now remember at Christchurch this isn't about uh, can we come up with the most well-crafted programs that we're just going to become slaves to the calendar and we got something going every day. Okay. We're not going to try to wear ourselves out and make this a resort or, or a Christian casino, all right? I'm not going to do that here. All of Christ's church is predicated on this single idea that we literally learn to repeat the words of Jesus and to repeat his ministry actions, to act like him and talk like him. That's what this whole thing's about. Okay. So if you're going to look at emotional intimacy in Jesus, what do you get? What comes out? Did he do it? What did it look like? Well, I think it looks like this right here. Jesus took it in Peter and James and John brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launder on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know what? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus exposed the deepest sense of who he was to these three trusted friends. How's that for emotional intimacy? Now, it seems to me that Peter, James, and John didn't deserve to be exposed to that kind of purity. 
I think those three guys didn't deserve to be exposed to the true, the most purest expression of Christ's character. I don't think they deserved it. And yet he included them in on that. Jesus Christ is modeling that he can get open and honest about who he is in the deepest way. Look at this one here. This is uh, Luke 9. While he was praying, he asked, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And then he, he whittles it down and he says in verse 20, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Christ of God. You know what? When you have healthy esteem, you can ask people what they really think of you. I'm afraid for some of you men who battle fear, you worry about what people think of you. Some of you ladies really worry about it. You're afraid. It's awfully hard to have emotional intimacy when you're insecure in and of yourself. Look at this, a couple more passages. John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, I know you're from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Uh, I want to make this as clear as I can. When, you, when you're a godly man, it is spiritually magnetic. It's, it's attractive. When you show the fruit of the Spirit, it's attractive. And people are going to seek you out. If your wife comes and seeks out things of God from you or your, your kids, care for their souls. Don't miss an opportunity to do that. John 11, there's, Lazarus is dead, Martha's heart is broken, Mary's heart is broken, and Christ pushes her and says, do you believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? You know, the fact is that Jesus Christ knows how to ask a question at some of the most deepest, in the midst of some of the deepest problems that people can have. That's a skill, that's emotional intimacy. And just this right here, and we're done. Um, Philip, pegging Jesus with questions. Just show us the Father, it's enough. And Jesus asks questions of him. You've seen me, how can you say, show us the Father? So let me summarize. Let's do this. There's the summary slides. And by the way, all of this is going to be made available online. Out of the esteem of Christ, you can disclose your deepest self to other people. You can do that. You can have deep emotional attachment to people, and it is amazing when you do so. Okay? Now, you are the gifted body of Christ. I think you are brilliant. Uh, what are some ways that you've learned can help improve emotional Intimacy in your relationships, your marriage, your mom and dad. What are some things that we can do as Christians to help improve our relationships and emotional intimacy? Anybody? Joey? The giving of our time. Time. <clears throat> Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Absolutely. Somebody else. Yes, sir. David? 
tag along with what you said also I'm listening try not to compare or use whatever they were going through to, to say something for yourself yeah in other words don't put yourself in front of it but listen to them upstage your co-op yeah absolutely yes spending time <clears throat> doing things that they enjoy yeah 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 absolutely hey, learn to have fun Unfortunately, I, I was able to read some really great authors and psychologists and psychiatrists on marriage. And this is what one of them said. They said this. The hallmark quality of a relationship during dating is that radical risk-taking and radical adventure is absolutely essential. Radical adventure wild, passionate fun. It's three o'clock in the morning. Hey, you want to go walk the big damn bridge? We can make out right at the center point where they're like, wouldn't it be cool? Yeah, I've always wanted to make out on the big damn bridge at three in the morning. Okay. okay. <laughs> and then when you get married, you go from this radical spirit of adventure and the wild emotions you go to, the intense need to be practical and prudent. I'm not getting up at midnight to go walk anywhere with you. I'm tired. I've got to go to work in the morning. No. <laughs> and all of a sudden your marriage is like, mm, the fun of my marriage. You, know, you were fun when we were dating. <laughs> so It's okay for couples to have fun, right? Even when they're married. Okay. Or to do that three o'clock in the morning thing, do we leave the kids at home? Or? <laughs> no, actually, um, Randy and Nedra would love to babysit your kids at home. Just knock on the door, they'll be right there. No problems, no problems. So. Chris, I just read that uh, after three years, and I think that's, a, that's a, maybe a general time frame, after three years post-marriage, the, the whole falling into chemistry goes away or starts to. Yeah. And that's why you so many you see so many marriages dissolve into uh, what is it uh, irreconcilable differences, and so all these things become yes. way way more. Oh goodness, Bruce! Absolutely. And so, yes, they're thinking, yes. Oh, "We just can't get along." Well, it's it's more than that. Yeah. What what? And it's, in a way, it's no fault of their own because our entire culture says. Hormones are everything. <laughs> yeah. They're everything. And so you don't fall in love, you fall in hormone, okay. is what you're doing. But as you know, oxytocin, vasopressin, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, lower. Especially the oxytocin and vasopressin, lower. And all of a sudden, it's not so exciting, yeah. right? Remember, you, you think you're in love, and the first time you put your arm around her, your heart is going, you're so excited. Oh, it's exciting, you know. And then the kiss. Oh, my gosh. I was shaking and sweating. It was so wonderful, you know. I was so excited, you know. But then after a while, that's old stuff. You've got to have a little bit more and a little bit more. And then eventually there's nothing left to do. And once there's nothing left to do, you know, falling into hormone wasn't so, it just didn't last. 
What if we fell in love? What if we fell into love that is patient and kind and gentle and doesn't seek its own, does not brag, does not keep a list of wrong suffered, is not arrogant, is not celebrating what is wrong, celebrates in the truth? What if we fell into love that bears all things, believes all things, endures all things? Ah. But when you fall into hormone, it won't last. So... What difference will Jesus Christ make in your relationships? And if you had and you matured in the esteem of Jesus Christ, do you think you could get, get open and honest and, and meaningfully share it like Jesus did? But if your ego is so insecure or your conscience is so damaged by guilt from secret addictions that you're like the man who runs away when nobody chases him. That's so unhealthy. So unhealthy. So, I want to pray for you. Uh, Abba Father, Holy, Holy Spirit, thank you for being here and doing work and going to those places that are so deep. Uh, thank you for sharing your son and loving us so much that you gave your son to die on a cross for us. That we could have life through his death. What a gift. Thank you. Lord, I ask for husbands and wives that they would learn to love each other, be restored to each other. That they could be emotionally intimate and face, go face to face. To talk. To give worth and communicate kindly and meaningfully to each other. Would you please protect and bless these marriages? Lord, we're going to worship you, and we're going to give you our whole hearts. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.